Hi, this is Carolyn Neelachlan, your hostess with the mostest of From Paper to People podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 179, The Departed Movie Review. Chris McBrien, and that is Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Derek, hey buddy, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Anything new in pop culture that you want to share with us? Always, always something going good. on in pop culture in my life. Wouldn't yeah. be much of a show if there wasn't. I live vicariously through you, my friend. Uh, well, I don't know if I should be flattered or... or I should give you some pity, but because well, I have nothing going on in my life. So I got to figure well, out what, I'm sure what, that's not true. But. What's going on All in right. pop culture with you? It helps you. Ha- so. I had a chance to watch some stuff this week. Good. Regret, regrettably, no documentaries two weeks oh, in a row for me. So that's, that's okay. a bit of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got the chance to watch uh, a few good ones and uh, I want to tell you about them again. There's a few here, so I'll try and be quick. First one I watched was actually from last week. I think I forgot to talk about it. It's called The Impossible from 2012. Do you know about this movie? Do you remember this movie? Did you I hear about not. this movie? Never heard it's of about, it. It's about the tsunami that hit uh, uh, Malaysia okay. um, in like the early 2000s at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, right. It stars Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor. It's it's the first uh, movie feature film role of Tom Holland, who is now the new Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's like a nine or ten years old in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't really know anything about it. It was, uh, it was just on and I had nothing else to do and I watched it and it was fantastic. Naomi Watts was nominated for an Oscar uh, and she didn't win, but very deserving of the nomination. It was really good considering it was based on true events. So you figure, well, most or all of this family probably ends up surviving if they did a movie about them, but it was still very good. The performances were great. Um, it was, it was really good. I, I recommend it strongly. It's from 2012. It's called the impossible. So Naomi Watts was nominated for an Oscar for that. You said, Yes, she was. Yep. She, she's a good actress. I like her. She is great. And I she's, remember uh, um, she's got a lot of accolades under her belt. Yeah, I remember when uh, Peter Jackson did the remake of King Kong. I, I, I didn't really care for it, but her performance was outstanding, almost Oscar worthy. She's a really good actress. I like her. She's very good. She's very yeah. talented. Uh, another one I watched was uh, a little bit newer. It's a movie called Richard Jewell that came out in 2019. It's directed by Clint Eastwood. Are you familiar with this one? <laughs> Another one I've never heard of. Go okay. Figure. This one was nominated for a bunch of Oscars as okay. well. Include, I want to say even best director for Eastwood, possibly. Um, Kathy Bates was nominated for supporting actress in this. It had a big cast, um, big cast. And uh, again, it's, it's another one that's based on real life event. This was based on the uh, bombing that happened at the Olympics in Atlanta. And I think it was 1996. And again, Richard you know, Jewell, I, you say, yeah. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't really know much about this other than like I, I was, I lived through 1996 Olympics, but I was at school that, that summer. So I, I was sort of only peripherally aware of the details, but apparently, uh, and again, this movie based on a true story, the, um, security guard that found this bomb and alerted the, the, the full police officers that this could be a threat. It was a suspicious package. It was due largely to his adherence to procedure and his desire to actually become a, a for real law enforcement officer. Like he was super gung ho to get into police work and stuff. Um, he followed procedure. He called it in. Uh, the, the bomb unfortunately still went off, but because people were made aware of it, the, the amount of injuries and death was substantially less than it could have been. I mean, it was still tragic, but this this security guard became a, a hero. His name Richard Jewell, and he was like the you know the flavor of the month for a few days. As everyone's like, oh my god, you know it's quick thinking, and he's a real life hero, and rah rah rah, and it's what he always wanted because it's hopefully going to open up doors for him to get into law enforcement. And then 
this story comes out that the FBI is looking at him as possibly the suspect, the idea of the fireman who sets the fire kind of thing. And so the first half of the movie is you get to know this character and he becomes the hero. And then at the halfway point, the FBI starts to investigate him. And the second half of the movie is the nightmare that becomes his life as the FBI stops looking at anybody else. They're convinced he did it and they just make his life a miserable living hell only to eventually realize he had nothing to do with it. He was the hero that everybody wanted him to be at the beginning. But of course, by then it's too late. You can't unring the bell. And uh, so it was this interesting uh, uh, study of of how someone's life can be turned upside down when the media and the government put their minds, you know, set their minds on something and just they can ruin your life. And I know this happens all the time to people, especially to minorities and and people that are of um, – you know, uh, different races, different religions, different cultures. You know, it was uh, uh, the fact that you have this story where it's happening to a white guy sort of reminds you that this can happen to anybody if they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it happens probably a lot more frequently than we think to a lot of people. So, it, but it was really good. It was very well, very well cast. The performances were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think Clint Eastwood's a great director. So I, I really enjoyed it despite, you know, some of the heavy, heavy topics in there. Um, just a couple more quick ones. Yeah. Uh, we watched a, my wife and I this week decided we wanted something new to binge watch. So we went to Amazon and we ended up watching the first season of a show based on a Stephen King book called Mr. Mercedes. Have you heard about this one? No. So I know. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) This one came out in 2017. Apparently there's three seasons. We binged the first season over the past week. It's based on a book uh, by Stephen King called Mr. Mercedes. And in the first five minutes of the first episode, a guy steals a Mercedes, puts on a mask and has the Mercedes mow down like 20 people who are standing in line for a job fair. And that's how it starts. And then it's like two years later, they haven't caught him. And the lead detective has now retired because he's a little older and he's obviously become a little obsessed. And then the next nine and a half episodes are the the serial killer, the Mr. Mercedes decides to taunt this retired detective detective and sort of like give him reason to stay active on the case. And uh, it's, it's one of these typical sort of Stephen King thriller, um, you know, character studies. And again, it's, it's got a pretty decent cast and uh, it was pretty good. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to jump into season two here this year, but Mr. Mercedes season one on Amazon uh, was pretty good. And the last family movie. Netflix dropped this week a family cartoon called The Mitchells versus the Machines. Now, Chris, I know I sent you the link to this one. Any mm-hmm. chance you and your kids have had a chance to watch this? We're actually going to be watching it tomorrow night. We decided we're going to oh, have okay. a movie night tomorrow night. And it's like all the rage right now on Netflix. It's like the big thing and families are all watching it. It's apparently really good. So I don't know, I'll give it a try tomorrow night and we'll see if we like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's ba- the the writer directors are the guys that did the cartoon Gravity Falls. I'm familiar with that show, but I never watched it, so I get a sense of okay, it's going to have a lot of stuff in there for adults, but it's still going to be good for the kids. And most of my peer group that have kids that are nerdy, they were all like, "Oh, this is the greatest thing!" And I watched it with my kids. My kids have watched it two or three times, so I was sort of the last one of my main group of friends to watch it, and I honestly didn't really care for it. And I think largely because I don't have kids. And so I had a really hard time relating to the, some of the characters. I, I, I felt that the, 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 the characters in the story undergo transformations very quickly. Like they have their, their, their emotional issues and there's conflict between the family. And then, you know, in order for this, this movie to wrap up in the two hour time slot, there has to be change. Everyone has to be like, Oh, I'm sorry that I was this way. And I, I can see your point of view. And, I don't know. I just found it. It had, you know, it had the nice wrapper and the bow put on it and I had a hard time buying it, but I can understand why kids would like it and I can understand why people are enjoying it. But hot take for me, I don't really care for it, but <laughs> give it a try. I think you're going to like it more than yeah. me, largely because you have kids. But uh, yeah, so that was it. Mitchell, the Mitchells versus the machines. It's the number one on Netflix right now. I'm sure most of the people listening have seen it by now. I mean, I would recommend it simply because that many people can't be wrong. I got to think I'm the outlier in this one. It was like the movie um, Inside Out, the Disney Pixar one. I really had a hard time relating to that one, too, because I don't have kids. It's about a young girl growing up. I'm like, I'm not a young girl growing up. I don't have a young girl. I'm not a parent. So I just some movies don't click with everyone. This is one of those ones that didn't really click with me. Anyway, those are my four for this week. What have you been up to this week, Chris? Uh, So Derek. 
You've seen the Mike Myers movie Goldmember, right? Yeah, about half a dozen times. Okay. So you, you know the scene where, where Dr. Evil is sitting at the table and he does the impression of speaking French and he pops his mouth? I do. Yes, yes, yes. It's something that Fritz Feld used to do back in like old black and white movies, like with the Marx Brothers. But anyway, I'm sitting around the table with my kids the other day and now they both take French in school, you know, because we're Canadian, right? And so, so my one son says to me, he's like, Daddy, do you speak any French? I'm like, yeah, I do. And he's like, well, what, what can you say in French? And I'm like, ho, ho, mes amis, ho, ho. <laughs> Just like Dr. Evil, gold member, right? So anyway, so they, they laugh at this, right? And then, you know, what can I say? You know, dad, daddy's funny, apparently. But so then anyway, a couple days go by. And my, my young, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. My, my youngest son is doing virtual learning, you know, like remotely from home. Okay. You know, during the pandemic, right? They're, I know where this is going. Okay. <laughs> it's like every other kid, right? They do this remote learning. So he's doing his he's doing his French class with his French teacher. And she calls on the students one by one. And she asks them to greet their their classmates in French. So my son gets on there and he goes, ho, ho, bonjour, mes amis. Ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> The look on his teacher's face. Oh I, I'm assuming a phone call home is forthcoming in the next few days. That's all oh I can say. Uh, but did his class laugh? <laughs> I don't know because they I, all mute I think their that's mics. The takeaway from here is, I know. is as long know. as it's funny, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's obvious that his dad's an idiot. So, uh, so here we go. Here's your dad joke of the week. Okay, Derek, what did Godzilla and King Kong name their tattoo shop? Uh, I have no idea. Monsters, Inc. Yeah, I think the Disney lawyers will be coming after them. Yeah, Monsters, Inc., Derek. Heard it the first time. the Big Mac and we have the Big Mick. He helped yeah. Gilligan get off the island. Oh, yeah, that guy. That Damn. guy. Joe Lewis was 76 years old. Well, I know you used to work at the Chuck E. Cheese, right? What is that? Real velvet? Just Oh, that boy is good. That boy yeah, can sing. That could work. Sexual chocolate. Oh, I, I've heard those lines before. <laughs> ah, what do you know from funny? All right, my friend. This week, it was your turn to nominate a film and, um, And you went with the 2006 Martin Scorsese cop crime film, The Departed. So, um, like pretty much all the movies that you nominate, you know, that came out after 1989, I had never seen this movie. So, um, I guess that's going to make for some pretty good discussions this week. But before we get into that, Derek, why did you nominate this movie? So, I have been putting together a list of possible movies to recommend to you over the next 10 or 12 shows. And my source of inspiration has been movies that have been nominated for the best picture Oscar since the year 2000 until this year. And that's not to say that they're all great. And it's not to say that they're all the kind of movies we would discuss on this podcast, but I figure it's a good place for me to start when it comes to putting together a list, especially if it's a movie that ended up winning the Oscar as this one did, if you hadn't seen it before, I wanted to give you an opportunity and an excuse to, to go back and watch it. But also generally not always, but generally the movies that are nominated for the best picture Oscar are most often the quote, the best movies of the year. Uh, They're either the most critically successful. They have the best performances. They have the best pedigree simply by the writer, director and, and the performers in the movie. There's usually a lot to like about movies that are nominated for best picture, even if it's maybe not a subject matter you're normally interested in, or maybe it's not uh, a movie by your, you know, your favorite director. There's usually still a lot of redeeming points in movies nominated for best picture. Again, not always, but usually. So as I was putting together this list uh, a couple of weeks back, you know, I got 10 or 15 movies on the list. And then I started going through and thinking like, okay, which ones have I seen a lot? And which ones maybe have I not seen that 
frequently that maybe it'll give me a chance to go back and watch it. And this is one of those ones that I hadn't actually seen it in a long time, probably 10 years. Like when did it come out? 2006? 2006. Yeah. So it's 15 years old. So I saw it in the theater. I saw it in video. Usually what happens when a movie comes out or well, back then when a movie came out on video or Blu-ray DVD, I would generally rent or buy it right away and watch it again the three to six months later. So usually within a year of its release, I've seen it two or three times. And that was pretty much the way with this one. I really don't know if I had seen it again since maybe once more since then, but it's got to have been at least 10 years. But I like the most of the big cast like this has a huge cast, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I like a lot of the performers, if not all the main performers. Uh, Scorsese is hit or miss for me, but the ones that I like of his, I really like. The genre is certainly right in my wheelhouse. I love that whole cops and bad guys dichotomy, the 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 undercover idea. So I thought chance to get you to watch it first time. And so with that in mind, I thought, let's give it a go and then we'll come back and talk about it. So that's where we are now. All right. Well, it was quite good. It, it was quite long, too. I don't think it was Scorsese's best movie. I think that would be like Taxi Driver or Raging Bull, to be honest. But I, I thought it was quite good. I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty good. So. Well, like I said, it was nominated and won Best Picture Oscar for a reason. It, you know, it's it, a lot of people say, oh, well, this is Scorsese's makeup Oscar. This is the Oscar they gave him for the body of work that had not previously been given the actual statue. And I think there's I think that's fair. I think that mm-hmm. the way the politics of the Academy Awards works, this happens all the time. And we've talked about it a lot. So we don't have to go down that road too much right now. But I agree. I This is not I don't think this is his best work. I think most of his movies are 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 very well done. Like the technically how the movies are put together. I think he's a great director. I think he's, he, most of his movies are fantastic to watch. Even if like we did raging bull a while back, I didn't care for raging bull, but I could certainly appreciate it from an artistic point of view of how it was put together. And I think this is an example of, of a movie that you could tell the guy putting it together knows what he's doing. And it certainly helps when he's got this much talent on the screen. Cause uh, you know, it just makes it a lot easier to, to, to watch it and makes it a lot more enjoyable. So obviously the film was directed by the legendary Martin Scorsese. It was written by William Monaghan. It won four Academy Awards. It took home the Oscars for Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Film Editing, and it was Scorsese's first win for Best Director. And it's a remake. The original is a 2002 Hong Kong film that was titled Internal Affairs. Infernal Uh, Affairs, I believe. Okay, and Monaghan obviously moved the film to Boston instead of Hong Kong. And yep. he based the plot around real events involving the um, the Winter Hill Gang, a real life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, organization. Uh, it had a budget of $90 million and it grossed $120 million at the domestic U.S. box office. And it took in $292 million worldwide. Always like to take a look at the box office from that year. The number one movie that year was Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest, which like doubled the next movie, which was Cars. Uh, X-Men Last Stand was number three. The Da Vinci Code. God, that movie sucked. Superman Returns. That movie sucked, too. Uh, Ice Age, The Meltdown, a couple other movies. And then what else we got? Oh, Devil Wears Prada. And then The Departed was number 15. So it was a little ways down the list. Failure to Launch was number 20. That like maybe one of the worst movies ever made. But anyway, so it was just kind of like okay received at the box office, I guess you could say. But I'd like to talk about the director. I think it's important that we start with with Scorsese because he's one of the most successful and one of the most critically acclaimed directors of all time. Now, he won the Academy Award for this movie for Best Director. Now, Derek, just like you mentioned, and I just want to just touch base on it briefly. I don't want to go into it too much, like you said, but sometimes Hollywood likes to reward people for their body of work you know, if someone's had a long career or maybe just because for one reason or another, they just never won an Oscar. And I, I, I feel like that's the case with this movie. Yeah, I think I think that's the popular take. You ask anyone who's even a, a mild movie buff or pop culture aficionado or, or someone who cares about uh, who has won the Academy Award year over year. And I think the vast majority of, of those types of people will agree that this this is a makeup Oscar given for body of work. 
I don't think you're going to find too many arguments. on that. I, I think very few Scorsese fans will say that this was his best work mm-hmm. or that it was even better than the other movies that were nominated that year. Like if you didn't know anything about history, you know, for whatever reason, you know, you lived in a in a box and you didn't know any about, you know, the, the Academy Awards and you were asked which movie did he win the Oscar for best director? It probably wouldn't be this one. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was good. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it wasn't his best work. No. Okay, I want to talk about the cast a little bit, Derek. And and this is going to sound crazy, maybe, because this is basically an all-star cast. Um, in fact, you could almost say this is like an all-star of all-star casts, you know, if there ever was one. But I think just because you have an A-list, you know, of some of the best actors in Hollywood, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the best cast for the movie. And... I feel that consistently throughout the movie that a lot of the the actors were miscast. So just bear with me on this one, okay? First of all, Matt Damon, okay? And we're going to start with him because, you know, he's your celebrity man crush. You know, you love he's Matt Damon. He's one of them for sure, yeah. Matt Damon. Yes, you love that guy. Okay, I so figured that was coming. Yeah. About halfway through the movie, my wife says to me, she's like, I really like Matt Damon. You know, in most movies, I don't like him in this. And I said to her, I, th- I think that's because he's evil, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm like, you know, he's just he's acting a part. Right. You know, I mean, it just means he's a good actor, you know, and um, and, you know, just as an aside, Derek, I remember one time back when, when I was a stage actor back in the day, I played this really, really, really bad guy in a play. And then when the next play was running, I wasn't in the cast for that one. So I went into the theater and I snuck in. I was sitting there and and one of the patrons recognized me. And she says, she goes, I know you. You were in the last play here. I hate you. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just, I think it was great because like, although all these years I thought it was maybe because I played the role so well, but who knows, maybe, maybe it's just because I'm an asshole. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, so my wife, my wife's like, no, actually, I don't hate him because he's the bad guy. I hate his fake accent. <laughs> so I just thought that was interesting. Okay, I, I would disagree because uh, I would disagree that his accent is fake because he's from Boston. I got to think that accent's pretty authentic. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't normally speak that way, I guess, is the thing, right? Sure. But, uh, but anyway, so he plays this morally corrupt, evil character. But how do you think that he did in the role? I want to ask you because, you know, you love you love him, right? Well, I mean, I think I think most of the performances by most of the cast in this movie are quite good. And I, th- I think he did a great job. I, I don't feel that he was miscast. I think I like the idea of that he was in that 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 role of the the police officer who's really a dirty comp underneath. Like it it worked for me and I think he played it well. It was like he was sort of over the top. And we talked about a little bit of this with some of the other movies and with Raging Bull, for that matter, this idea that there's a lot of like macho guys in this one where it's a lot of this testosterone fueled, the macho machismo. I I need to be a better man than you are. And like it comes out right in the beginning when the characters are uh, I think it was actually with a scene with Matt Damon where the police are playing the firefighters in a game of rugby. And when the police guys lose the, in order to taunt the firefighters, they start calling them gay and homosexuals. And I'm sure they, they use a lot Mm -hmm. of less politically correct words as well. But that idea that it's like, that was something that they all felt this would attack your masculinity if you were seen as, Mm -hmm. as being gay. And so you see this throughout the movie, the guys, they use this as this insult to each other. And a lot of them feel genuinely insulted when someone says, Oh, you're gay. I mean, again, they probably use stronger language than that, but it's like, well, if you're not, who cares? But just this whole macho thing that I got to be the, you know, the most macho guy. And the fact that Matt Damon plays this character, who's clearly not the most macho guy. He's not the tallest. He's not the strongest. He's not the biggest. Um, he's trying to make up for it by being smart and clever but is he really? And you, you get to see a lot of his faults as as he cannot be the most masculine macho guy. So I, I, I think it works. I think he's cast well in this role. I don't know. I felt he needed to be a little more evil. I don't know. Um, Jack Nicholson is pretty much amazing in everything. And coming into this movie, I got to say, I couldn't think of a single movie where he was not good 
you know, as an actor. And I mean, like, he's been in some stinkers in his career, you know, mm-hmm. not not too many overall. But I think he's always still been good in the roles he's played, uh, even if the movie wasn't good. Like he made a movie called Going South back in 78 with John Belushi was in it. Um, it was John Belushi's second film after Animal House. And it was really dumb. But Jack Nicholson was pretty good in it. He directed that movie, too. But, you know, when you think of, of a Hollywood legend, you know, Jack Nicholson is pretty much the epitome of that. But I I gotta say, I think he was miscast in this role. Something just didn't quite fit for me. I, I think yeah. maybe yeah. I just expected that, you know, this leader of this big organized crime gang would just be a little bit more polished, you know, maybe more uptown, you know, like wearing expensive suits, maybe sporting the bling. I don't know. I, but just to me, Nicholson came across more like, like one of the henchmen rather than the big boss. I mean, like yeah. he was, he's well connected politically. He's got ties to the cops. I mean, he runs the sophisticated crime organization, but he looked to me like some guy you'd see sitting at the end of your local bar. I don't know. Maybe that was the point. I just, something felt out of place for me with him. I, I found, so I, I, I sort of agree with what you're saying. I, I, I mean, I think he did a good job with what they provided him. And from what I understand from reading through some of the notes, once they actually cast him in that role, they beefed up the part so he'd have more screen time. But I felt in my mind when I'm watching it, I thought he was maybe a little bit too old to be playing that character because mm. one of the things uh, that you often see in these movies about organized crime is there tends to be a lot of turnover on the bad guy's side, either because people get arrested and go to jail or people get killed by some up and comer who wants to be the, the, you know, the guy on the throne. And I just thought it was unusual to have a character to, like to have a performer playing this character. That's clearly older like he he seemed to be old enough to be the the father or even grandfather of a lot of the guys in his crew and again if if tv has taught me anything and it's not to say that tv is certainly accurate in in this department is that a lot of these crime things the top bosses don't live that long or they don't stay in power that long without somebody either riding them out so they go to jail or just straight up killing them so that they can take over their crew. And so I, for me, that was sort of the sore point. I, I mean, I enjoyed it when he was on screen. I thought he did a good, good job with what he had. But every time I watched it, I thought, if only he was 15 or 20 years younger, I think it would have been perfect. Alec Baldwin, I felt, was a little bit miscast here as well. I just didn't think he fit. And funny enough, DiCaprio, who I think is just an incredible actor. Um, and I also think this would have been one hell of a hard role to pull off. Um, I think he did a good job as Billy Costigan, but I feel like the part called for a different actor too. I don't know. It just, he didn't seem to be right either. Um, one actor that I thought was perfectly cast though, surprisingly enough, maybe was Mark Wahlberg. He yeah. Was well, he got nominated for Oscar for Oh yes. He, well, he, he deserved to. That to be in a scene with DiCaprio and Martin Sheen, and when he was in that scene with in the office, and to just dominate the scene, that that that's not an easy thing to do, you know. But he did it, and he did it consistently. He was the only cast member to be nominated for an Oscar, and I think he was the only one that deserved to be for this movie. I I know it was an ensemble cast, but I, I I think it says something. When a film wins Best Picture and it wins Best Director, but it's not recognized or even nominated for the acting categories. Yeah, no, I know this is, and I mean, you and I being Oscar trivia guys, this is something you see a lot where both sides of the coins, how can you win Oscars for Best Actor and Best Actress and then not win Best Picture or the other way? How do you win Best Picture and nobody in the cast gets, gets the award for Best Performance, but whether it's lead, supporting, or man or woman? It's just – it's rare when that happens. And when it does, you have to sort of question. It's like were the performances in these other movies that good yet the movie that bad that you couldn't do it? So, yeah, it's it, it always raises eyebrows and sort of forces those kinds of questions when it happens. Mm-hmm. So a little bit about the movie itself and, and as as always, there's there's spoilers, you know, spoiler alert. Um, so the movie opens up with Jack Nicholson going into this diner to collect some protection money from the owner. And he makes this comment 
about the guy's teenage daughter. So he's like a total scumbag. And then he buys the groceries for Matt Damon's character. Like, cause we kind of understand that that's him when he was younger. Right. And that's how right, the relationship right. begins. And he, he sort of, sort of cultivates that younger character. Right. So he can use them later on. Right. To infiltrate the cops. And one thing I thought was interesting was, was I like how, you know, you, you know, right away, it's supposed to be like you know, 20, 30 years ago. So instead of trying to make Nicholson look younger, Scorsese just shoots him in silhouette and he uses shadows. He's like wearing a hat and stuff just to conceal his face. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. it was clever, clever artistic yeah. choice. But And then um, now Nicholson then in the next scene kills a man and a woman on the beach. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that supposed to be DiCaprio's uncle? I I don't know if it, if it was I didn't make that connection I I it could have been yeah I was I, again to, it's been so long yeah. since I've seen it a lot of the stuff as it was going by I was sort of absorbing it for the first time so many of these movies that we do it's like I've seen it twenty times so I can answer all these little questions this mm-hmm. is one that I'm just I'm not I I just I haven't seen it enough to know these details so well, there's sorry, there's a lot going on so I'm trying to piece it all together and so anyway so DiCaprio's character he has no family um, and so he goes into the police academy and. If I would just, it got me thinking because I thought if if that was his uncle or his relative in some way, then Nicholson is ultimately responsible for both Damon and DiCaprio becoming moles, you know, like directly or indirectly. So I don't know, it's all intertwined. But um, so DiCaprio's character I thought was interesting because he's he's a bit of a mystery. You know, he's got these good grades. So like, why does he want to become a cop? The way that Mark Wahlberg works him in the yeah. office oh, yeah he, he's trying to like push him and he's trying to push him to see what he's made of right see if they can lean on him you know to be a mole and uh, then they get him to commit to this like minor crime whatever it was so he goes to jail so then he can infiltrate the mob and then you've got this you know cop mole and then the mob mole both kind of working inside the two organizations right so the, the table's all set you know for what's going to happen I, I mm-hmm. thought it was a, it was an interesting plot like I really think it was an interesting plot yeah, I mean, with so many more of Scorsese's films, it's like it, it, this one is no exception. It's It's got a very long runtime. It's two and a half. I think it's two hours and 31 minutes yeah. with the credits. So, you know, when you're when you're sitting down, you're in for a, you're in for a ride. I mean, Casino runs well over two hours. Goodfellas, I'm pretty sure, runs over two hours. Um, his latest one, The Irishman, runs forever. Uh, you know, Scorsese likes this idea of a long film. So you really know that pacing is is important and the character development's going to happen and and it, with so many of his movies you have these large ensembles and it's just like okay let's see where this goes and it's this one's this one's no exception it's this this long it, you know you hear in like movies with con artists they're like they have the long con it's like that that's what this is you mm-hmm. see the lives of these guys where it's this long con in the case of of Matt Damon's character it's He's going to be this this law enforcement officer that works directly for the mob boss. And on the other side of it, you've got DiCaprio, who wants to be more than just your your steady trooper. And they give him this opportunity to go undercover, to infiltrate and eventually try and take down one of the most infamous mob bosses in in this case in Boston, which is where he's ultimately from. So it's like, you know, this is a guy that he would be familiar with. So it's uh yeah, you've got you've got these intricate stories and it's like that's part of what I like about about this movie and about a lot of Scorsese's movies is you get two and a half hours. You you get to really know these characters. At one point, Matt Damon refers to uh, the people that have died as the departed. So that's where the title yeah. comes into play. And that becomes a little more uh, prolific, you know, later in the movie when pretty much Everybody is the departed again. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And when they, when uh, I noticed it, when they did the funeral scenes where you have the, the priest giving the eulogy or the, the blessing or the benediction, whatever it's called, I don't know the correct term. Uh, he uses the, the, the priest uses the term, the departed every time there's a funeral mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, I, I picked up on that. Cause I thought of that too. I'm like, why is it called the departed? Uh, but this time through, I was a little more savvy to, mm-hmm. to listen for that detail. So yeah, you're absolutely right. One thing I would say, there was a scene in a, in the restaurant where Nicholson and DiCaprio are sitting together. Remember where there were like priests and a nun at the other table? Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So for a director of Scorsese's pedigree, you know, and his experience, there was a ton of continuity errors in that scene. There were so many 
it was distracting for me to watch. And, and so Derek, I'd suggest actually going back and just watching that scene and like, just from where that the actor's heads are positioned, you know, their hands, DiCaprio drinking out of the water glass. It was distracting. I, I turned to my wife and I said, this scene is killing me. It's so distracting to watch. And the worst part of it all is that the movie won an Oscar for best film editing. I was just about to say, this may be the fault of the editor, not the director. I know. But. And, but I mean, that scene alone should have disqualified it from winning the Oscar. I just, I don't get that. But, oh, you know, one thing other just, I just was thinking about, we were talking about the cast earlier. One actor I want to mention was um, Vera Farmiga. I don't know if I'm yeah. pronouncing that right. Farmiga, I think it is. Farmiga. Yeah. She was really, really good. She was really strong in this movie. She was nominated uh, for an Oscar for Up in the Air, which she was She was in. really good in that oh, movie. God, yeah. she was good in that. And again here, I thought she was really, really good. Um, I like how she gets involved with both Damon and DiCaprio. Now, she's got different motivations, you know, for being attracted to each of them. Um, for da- Matt Damon, you know, because, well, he's Matt Damon. Matt Damon. You know, he's good looking. And he, I remember he, he charms her with humor. I was going to say, he's very charming in that yeah. scene in the restaurant where yeah. he's, she's like, oh, if you know this, I'll go out with you again. And he's like, what makes you think I want to go out with you again? And she's like, uh, you don't? And he's like, of course I do. It's, yeah, yeah he, no, he I, looks, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, he yeah. humors her. And then, although he has and the scene on the elevator too, when he first meets her. Yes. She's yes. like, take my card. He goes, I'm a detective. And he's like, no, no, give me the card. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And then, funny enough, he has sort of performance issues earlier in their relationship. If you remember the one scene. Yeah, it's, it's so, okay. So let me let, I didn't necessarily know why we needed that. I guess the idea was that. And I was reading again, I read through the trivia and it was saying like this was one of the suggestions from Damon uh, himself was the characters trying to be so macho and so, so manly compared to the other men. It would be an interesting character quirk that he's like almost overcompensating for the fact that he he can't perform in bed. And it's like that's every guy's worst nightmare. Oh, my God, I'm not a full man if I can't, you know, do do the things to my to my girlfriend or wife that I should be able to. And so it's like, well, what do you do in that circumstance? You overcompensate in other ways. So it's like, okay, but one of the things I want to just circle back to one of the things you just said about the idea that uh, um, Vera Formiga, sorry, is that her name? I, um, yeah, Formiga. Yeah, Vera Formiga. Yeah, I couldn't think of her first name there. Mm-hmm. Um, that she ended up interact, uh, you know, having relationships with both guys. I actually found that I had a hard time with her her second relationship with with DiCaprio's character really to me it, it just seemed i don't know it just seemed a little uh, i don't want to say forced and definitely not like forced like i'm going to force myself on you or anything like that i just felt that uh, as i'm watching the movie i sort of was like i questioning it in my head i'm thinking why is this happening you're in a relationship sure your guy has performance issues but for that reason, you're going to go to this other guy. Like, what is it that that makes her want to stray from this relatively new relationship with Matt Damon's character? I, I don't know. I just I had a hard time because she's drawn to him because he's he's raw, you know, and, and he's honest and he's actually got a very sweet side of himself. He shows it to her. Remember when he goes and puts the, the picture of her as a child up on the wall? After Matt Damon had taken it down and thrown it in a box. But but then they had already like gone out, gone out and had like a date. And like, in my mind, she had already made up her mind is the running, you know, it's the running joke. Like within a minute of a woman meeting a guy, she knows if she's going to have sex with him or not. And so in my mind, she had already made up, she had already made this decision that she's like, I like this guy physically. I'm going to, you know, potentially jump on this opportunity. And for me, I just, I thought you see guys like him every day in your job as a therapist. Like she clearly has a portfolio of clients that she sees. And I got to think a lot of them are going to be very much like the DiCaprio character. So what is it just, he's the best looking of the bunch. Like she's, I don't know. I personally, I just had a really hard time connecting the dots of why she would stray from this relationship that she's trying to build with Matt Damon's characters, problems or not, why she would so quickly move to this other guy. And I mean, I understand for story purposes why it's there because it, it, it certainly creates an interesting uh, sort of love triangle, even though they 
the Matt Damon's character doesn't necessarily understand that there's another party involved right away, but I don't know. I just, I really had a hard time connecting those. Dots. I think it's because the sort of the subtext of Matt Damon's character is that he's not good. And she, in some way, women are smarter than us, Derek. By well, the way. yeah, of course. And, I'm smart enough to know that. <laughs> and, and, and she could probably detect something's just not quite right. Whereas with DiCaprio, it's the opposite. On the, on the outside, what you're seeing is that he's bad and he's like, you know, got all these problems and he gets in bar fights and he beats people up. But underneath it, he's actually quite sweet. So it's it's very conflicting, you know, and that's maybe part of what makes her performance so good. I thought she was a standout. I thought she was really good. So I think oh, she, I agree. I, she was one of the best. Performance was yeah, one of the best. Performances. Her performance was great. Yeah. She's easy on the eyes. I actually had to look up how old she was compared to the other two characters because just the, just the way it appeared in my mind, I thought she looks like she's she's actually older than the than the both the male characters. And if I remember correctly, Matt Damon, I think, was three years older than her. And DiCaprio was either the same age or either one year older, one year younger. So there she's she's around the same age as these guys. But for some reason, I just thought that she was a couple years older than them. But I think she just comes across as more mature. I don't know. That's There's something what, that's about exactly her. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. After I looked up the ages, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. It's this combination of her performance is certainly as a, as an actress, her performance is, is more polished, which is something to say considering, you know, who she's, who she's performing with. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just the character is this more wise, more mature, despite the fact that she makes this, what I'm going to call bad decision to have this affair with Leonardo DiCaprio's character. It's clear that, yeah, her character has this, this sophistication and this maturity that the other guys don't necessarily have. She has a quality about her as an actress for me that you just like, you can't put your finger on it. Like you just, you can't take your eyes off of her when she's on screen. She, there's something charismatic about her. I, I think of, um, uh, Catherine Keener is like that too, for me. Yeah. There's yeah. just something about her. You just cannot take your eyes off of her. She's just so charismatic. And she, there's like, there's so much going on there. She's a great actress. I thought, I thought, uh, I thought she was really good in this. So I usually have a lot of questions for you when I watch these movies. Well, I hope you don't for this one. Cause like I said, I, I'm probably not going to be able to answer. Well, I'm a little slow on the uptake as you know, but uh, one thing that, that I caught actually when I was watching this movie, which surprised me because I usually miss a lot of stuff. And this one I caught. Remember when DiCaprio had to go to the address where things were going down with the police chief? Yes. And the guy in the car, Washington. Yes. The guy in the car calls him and he gives him the wrong address. I remember the painted sign out front and it said 344 Washington. Yep. And then the guy calls him and he's like 314 Washington. And right in that scene, I said to my wife, I said, he just gave him the wrong address. And then you realize he did it on purpose, right? He wanted to see if DiCaprio, you know, went to the proper address so he'd know if he was the mole. And then yeah. the guy is dying and you find out he was actually a cop. Well, infiltrated the mob too, right? Was he or wasn't he though? Because the the Jack Nicholson's character even says, you know, the other guys are like, I can't believe he's a cop. And he's like, the cops are saying to the media that this guy was an undercover cop, possibly to have Jack Nicholson's character put down his guard and go like, well, you knew you had a rat. Here he is. You can stop looking. And he literally says that in the dialogue. Now, whether or not that was the case and whether or not that character who I will always remember as Boggs from uh, Shawshank Redemption, whether or not he was an actual undercover cop or not, we don't know. And I, th- I think it's deliberately left ambiguous so that you don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. So just because I picked up the address thing doesn't yeah. mean that I don't have any questions because I do. Okay, so good. One question I have. When Matt Damon deletes DiCaprio from the system, so there's yes. no proof that he was ever a cop, you know? So then yes. it would allow Matt Damon to kill him, I guess, without any blowback. So when he deletes him from the system, how would he explain that? Like, would someone want to know, like, why he did that? Like, why the hell that he did that? Well, I, I think it's like so many other things. Unless somebody looks for it, they're unlikely to realize that it's happened. And so I think in the moment, Matt Damon's character figures, if I delete this and then take care of him, no, it's never going to come back to haunt me. Unfortunately, because of all the the deaths, 
there was probably some some hard questions that would have been asked. And, you know, we knew that um, we knew that DiCaprio's character went through law enforcement training because uh, what's the other guy's name? Anthony Anderson. The, the yeah, yes. he you know, he even says he goes, you know me. We went to the and he, you know, both both characters acknowledge that they knew each other. So, uh, again, they don't really play into it. But I think you're right. I think, you know, D- uh, Damon's character made a bad decision in the heat of the moment. And wasn't worried about the immediate fallout. And then what we didn't see off screen was there was probably some hard questions that had to be answered. Another quick question. How did Matt Damon rise so quickly up the chain of command? Like one second, he's a grad from the police academy. And the next minute, he's the chief of police or the deputy chief of police. Well, they they sort of talked about. So I think there's some montages that happen at the beginning that are supposed to represent passage of time. And I think it's not clear exactly how much time has passed, but I think it's supposed to be a number of years. And I I think we're supposed to believe, again, from what we see on screen and sort of what's implied, that he makes some substantial busts along the way to – really pad his resume and that would be from Jack Nicholson's character sort of throwing his own guys in the fire to sort of be like I'm going to give up this guy and you're going to get the caller for for arresting him or the other way where Jack Nicholson's character would say to Matt Damon here's an here's a a guy that's uh someone we're up against a, a guy from the opposing crew I can give you all this information on him so that you can arrest him totally legit and it'll look good for you. And and then obviously as a rival crime boss, he's like, it's good for me too. So I think we're supposed to believe there was a lot of that kind of stuff happening behind the scenes. Mm. Okay. A couple of scenes I just want to mention that I liked. Um, the scene when Matt Damon calls Leonardo using the chief's phone. Yes. The long pause of silence. Nobody wants to talk. Like, nobody wants to say anything, you know. Neither that, of them do. That might give themselves away, right? Yeah. The tension in that scene was incredible. I love how that was shot. That was really yeah. good. And you know that the performers weren't anywhere near each other. Like, they were probably, those scenes were probably shot on different days and different locations. But the way it's edited together, it's like you believe that these two guys are literally on the phone with each other and not saying a word and just each guy waiting to see if the other guy's going to say something. No, I agree. That was, that was a good scene. Okay. Another scene I really liked. I like how Vera Farmiga gets the tape of Matt Damon and she learns he's a really bad guy. Mm-hmm. And then you start to get a, a bit of a glimpse of hope that maybe he just might get caught, you know, because the whole time through this movie, he's got so many connections and he's so high up the chain of command. Like, he just keeps himself above the law. I like that scene too. Mm-hmm. And then the final scene of the film, you think everything's over. Matt Damon, he's like, oh man, the guy's, he's skirted the law, you know? And then just when you've forgotten about Mark Wahlberg's character, Marky Mark shows up <laughs> in Matt Damon's apartment and shoots him. Yep. And that was an unbelievably gratifying moment. You know, maybe one of the best scenes in the film, to be honest. There was just so much going on in a span of about 15 or 20 seconds. Like there was justice and revenge and violence and hate. It was all wrapped up in one. I thought that scene was fantastic. Yeah. And then it cuts to the the, the window looking out at the government building. And then you see the literal rat on the ledge. And it's like, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to bang you over the head with this in case you weren't up to speed. But yeah, yeah, no, it's it's very satisfying. And the fact that Mark Wahlberg's character has like the the crime scene booties on and the gloves and the hood. It's like he wasn't taking any chances. He's not getting caught for this. And uh, you've got to assume that what happens after the movie is some of that evidence that Leonardo DiCaprio's character had starts to come to life. You got to assume that the mm-hmm. whatever was so he gave that envelope to uh, Vera Farmiga's character and said, like, you know, if I die or I tell you to open this, open this envelope. We never find out what's in the envelope, but I assume it's it's the evidence that he spoke of. He's like, I've got evidence that Matt Damon's character is a bad guy. So you got to think that's what that was. And so the scenes we don't see are the scenes where Matt, da- you know, mm-hmm. after Matt Damon's character is killed. It comes out that he was a bad guy. And I got to think that, you know, the suspicion of, well, who could have possibly killed him? It comes back to the Jack Nicholson's crew. It's oh, someone on his crew realized he was the knew he was the undercover and they murdered him. It's like, OK, case closed. And, you know, you got to assume that Mark Wahlberg gets away with it. It's 
At least so, I do. Yeah. So good movie. So do you want to give it a rating out of 10? Um, I'd probably give it a seven or seven and a half. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it's certainly not the kind of movie you're going to want to go back and watch every six months. Um, I thought the performances were strong. I love the casting, even if, as we've said, some of the, some of the roles might maybe not perfect casting, but the people in the roles are certainly talented. I, I mean, between Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Vera Farmiga, like Alec Baldwin. There's a lot of people to like in this movie, even the people that have smaller roles. Um, yeah, I think, and, and as we said before, I don't think this is Scorsese's best, but even Scorsese, not at his best, is still better than 90% of the directors out there. I, I'm going to say, let's go with a seven and a half. I'm going to give it seven and a half out of ten. All right. I, unlike you, I didn't like the casting. I liked the plot. I liked the script. Um, I liked the story, but I didn't like the casting. But I would also give it a seven and a half. So we're in agreement on that. Yeah. So that's awesome. We agree on the score, but maybe not how we got there. Exactly. Okay. So on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right, Derek. This week, we're going to have some good old-fashioned trivia. Okay. okay. And the Later. topic this week, Martin Scorsese. Oh, okay. Boy. So The Departed is set in Boston, okay? And although he makes Go Bruins. It, he makes it, yeah, you, you like the Bruins, so there you go. Bruins now, Martin Scorsese kind of makes you believe that he knows, you know, the city of Boston very intimately, but he was not born in, nor did he grow up in Boston. Where was Martin Scorsese born and raised? Uh, I'm going to guess New York. Yes, in Flushing. In Queens. Flushing Meadows. All right. Okay, so Scorsese is often considered to be a part of Hollywood's film school generation of directors. So where did Martin Scorsese go to film school? I have no idea. Somewhere on the West Coast. You still No, he was on the East Coast. He went to NYU. I don't know. Sure. New York. Yes. NYU. Yeah. The, the interesting thing was all those guys were out in California, Spielberg and, and Lucas and, and De Palma. I knew and Spielberg and Lucas were California. I just assumed he was part of that crew. Scorsese That's why I said he was California. in New York the whole time. Yeah. Okay. Derek, can you name the title of the independent film that was Martin Scorsese's first feature film release? No. Well, I'll give you a hint. It sure. Starred, it starred Harvey Keitel, and it was originally named I Call First. The Bad Lieutenant. Man, it was Who's That Knocking at My Door? Sure. Oh, man, I can't believe you know that. Never okay. heard of it. Martin Scorsese obviously won the Oscar for Best Director for this movie, The Departed. Yep. But it was not the first time that he was nominated for a Best Director Oscar. In fact, he's been nominated nine times for Best wow. Director. Derek... Since you're a huge movie buff, I want to see <laughs> how many of these okay. nine that you can name. Oh, how I'm many movies five. has Scorsese been nominated for Best Director? Okay. You want me to name them? Yeah. Okay. Let me let me see. <sighs> casino? Goodfellas? No, not Casino. No Casino. No. Wow. What was the Goodfellas. second one you said? Goodfellas. That's one. Raging Bull. Taxi Driver. Got to be taxi. No. He was not nominated for Taxi Driver. Wow. The Irishman. Yep, that was one. Uh, now, of course, I'm blanking on his body of work. I'm like, what other movies had mob guys in it? He did a... Uh, I can't... Uh, I, I. There's no way he was nominated for Kundun, the one about the Dalai Lama. No, he no. was also nominated for The Last Temptation of Christ. Sure, never seen Gangs it. of New York. Oh, yeah, of course. The Aviator. Nope. Hugo. Really? I didn't know he did The Aviator. Yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> Hugo and The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Jeez, how many movies has he done with DiCaprio? Gotta be yeah. a lot. Gotta be five wow. or six. For sure. Okay, Mean Streets is widely considered, I think, to be the film that first put him on the map as a director. Now, the film had a budget of just $1 million. So, Half of the film's budget was spent on one aspect of the film. Derek, any guess what Martin Scorsese spent half of his budget on when he made Mean Streets? Soundtrack. 
Very good. Yes. The, never, never seen it, but I know the kind of music he yeah, likes and it's yeah. not cheap. No, the Ronettes and Eric Clapton, the Rolling Stones. He wanted that in there. Okay. Yep. So when we think of Martin Scorsese, we tend to think of him in terms of his critical success, right? Rather yes. than his commercial success. But he is one of the most successful commercial directors of all time. So when you're looking at the worldwide box office gross, what is Martin Scorsese's most successful film ever? Wow. Good question. Mm-hmm. Oh, probably not one of his early ones because they probably didn't do that well. I uh, No, it wouldn't have been this one. Okay, hold on. You got to give me a second here to sort of muddle through this. Um, wow. I got to think it was Wolf of Wall Street. It was $392 million. I figured it had to be something relatively new just because the box office, the dollar, you know, you pay more to go to the theater. So I knew it had to be something real. His number two might shock you. It was Shutter Island was number two for him. Also DiCaprio one. Okay. In 1990, Steven Spielberg was all set to to direct the film Cape Fear. When he traded the rights to that script, to Martin Scorsese in return for the rights for a film that Scorsese was going to direct at that time. Derek, any guess what film Spielberg traded Cape Fear to Martin Scorsese for? Hmm. In 1990. Yeah. Well, that would have been before Jurassic Park. It would have been before Schindler's List. Way before Saving Private Ryan. Um... Probably a Spielberg stinker. I don't know. I have no idea. Schindler's List. It was Schindler's List. Scorsese oh, was going to direct it, and they traded him off. Okay, so now to finish things off, we're going to have a little bit of a speed round. Okay? Oh, my God. I've been doing so badly on these. This is going to nah, suck. We're okay. going to have a speed round of Scorsese Oscar trivia. I'm going to mention an actor okay. and the Scorsese film that they were nominated for. You just tell me if they won the Oscar or not. Okay, Robert okay. De Niro in Raging Bull. Did he win the yes. Oscar? Yes. He did. Yes. Okay, Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Yes. Daniel Day-Lewis, Gangs of New York. No. You are correct. He lost to Adrian Brody in The Pianist. Oh, in The Pianist. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Sharon Stone in Casino. No. She lost to Susan Sarandon in Dead Man Walking. Okay, Kate Blanchett in The Aviator. Yeah, she won. She did. All right, Jodie Foster, Taxi Driver. Mm, No. Very good. She lost to Beatrice Strait in Network. Okay, Paul Newman for The Color of Money. Ooh, uh, ooh, was that his makeup Oscar? Let's say yes. Yes, and finally, Diane Ladd for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. I don't know who that is, and I've never seen the movie, so I'm going to say yes. No, she lost to Ingrid Bergman in Murder on the Orient Express. Damn it. Another interesting piece of trivia, Diane Ladd was nominated for playing the role of Flo. But when the movie was adopted into the TV show Alice... Polly Holiday played Flo, and Diane Ladd, funny enough, replaced her as Belle Dupree. So, sure. All right. All right. So, next week, uh, it's my turn to nominate a movie, and I need to find one that relates in some way to this week's film. So, a there's jet- a huge cast to pull from, bud. Yeah. You've got a lot, of, I know. a lot of ways to connect this. I got to figure this out. So, I figure that sort of a Gen X counterpart to this movie, so to speak. Derek, since The Departed is about cops infiltrating a crime gang and it's directed by one of the greatest directors of all time, I'm going to counter this with another film about cops infiltrating a crime gang directed by one of the greatest directors of all time. I'm going to go with Quentin Tarantino's debut, 1992's Reservoir Dogs. Nice. Good pick. Nice. I figured it just kind of fits right into this one, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Should be an interesting one. That was a great film, and it, it'll be really, really great to come back. I haven't seen it in a while, so yeah. it'll be Me interesting neither. to go back. So, yeah. But I, I've, 
I've seen it a lot, and I know a lot of trivia about that movie, so oh, we'll have a lot to talk about. We'll have lots to talk about. Okay, well, until then, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Pop Goes Your World.